Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. you and those that's joining online. Um, I may have some visitors. Church family can give them a hand clap for being with us this morning. So glad you could be with us. I'm going to read the sermon text this morning. Continue to be in Luke 9. I think we're going to finish Luke 9 this morning. Amen? <laughs> no. no, don't want to rush it. Um, Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start reading verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went, or went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Andy. Is he worthy? It's an important question, to put it mildly. Um, is he worthy? Is he worthy of our trust, our confidence in a world that's broken? I mean, it, it, we, we all know that, right? I mean, there's something, every time we sing this song, you can almost feel it in the room, right? There's this, this, this heaviness that comes on us when we sing the words, do you feel the world is broken? Yes, we do. But is he worthy? Is he worthy of our confidence and trust? Is he worthy of our faith and our, our, our willingness to um, maybe abandon what, what we see in front of us in, in terms of it? you know, determining how we feel and trusting in this Jesus who has promised he's going to make all things new. He's going to hold forever those he loves, right? So there is this, yes, he's worthy of that kind of trust and that kind of confidence. There's also a question about, is he worthy of my trust and confidence in following him between now and then? Because how many of you understand Jesus doesn't call us to himself and say, all right, just hold on until I fix it all. No, he says, the word of God leads us to understand that, that 
Jesus wants us to participate with him in his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, which means as we wait for all of those promises to be fulfilled, we are active participants with the alive and active Jesus in a world that's broken, right? And is he worthy of that kind of trust and confidence that we could follow him even when it doesn't make sense? What does it mean to follow him in a world that's broken? Those are the kind of questions we want to wrestle with this morning, and it's really where the disciples are right now. You know this, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus looked at his disciples, or at the 12, and he said, I'm giving you power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases, and now go out in my name and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's exactly what they do, presumably with some success. Then Jesus takes three, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain where he is transfigured. Andy taught on that a couple of weeks ago. Comes back down the mountain, and the nine have failed miserably with a young boy who is tormented by an unclean spirit who gives him seizures. And when they fail, when their failure is exposed, Jesus comes back down the mountain. He deals with the problem, but he looks at his disciples and he says this, verse 41 of chapter 9, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I think in order to just sort of get into the flow here, let's rehearse. When Jesus looks at them and says, faithless and twisted, I don't think that he's telling them that they have moved completely out of faith in him. Remember, Peter, on behalf of the group, I think, has already confessed that Jesus is the Christ of God. So I don't think the disciples have stepped out of faith. But what seems to be clear is that they are not leaning into life with him and participation with him very well at all, at least at this moment. Does that make sense? They're, they're twisted around the axle, as it were, about what following him and life with him is like and that gets dramatized they're being twisted around the axle when after this failure they start arguing about what who's the goat I don't think they're trying to usurp Jesus like they want to take his place I think they're arguing over who's number two and Jesus just stands conventional thinking on his head we looked at this last week verse 48 He said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. What does it mean to receive a child? It means that you receive the one who has no status as if they have greater status than you. You make yourself low and thus become great, in his name. Is Jesus not the epitome of the, one, of, of, those that, of the one who receives people who have no status? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you want to be great, you're going to have to treat those who are low as if they're higher than you. Okay. Then verses 49 and 50, John and I think some others had tried to stop this unnamed exorcist who was casting out demons in Jesus' name. And John says, Jesus, we told him to stop because he's not in the group. Jesus says, don't stop him. 
whoever's not against you is for you. They've got to get this because I think what Jesus is telling them is, look, you are not the only ones who are going to participate with me in my kingdom agenda. Fast forward to chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 others. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, what was the prophecy that Peter quoted from Joel? In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, your old men, your young men. We are all kingdom participants, right? Jesus is laying the foundation of that right now. Guys, you got to get this. This is not only about you. Two hard lessons for the 12, would you agree? Real life episodes that taught them some crucial lessons, but they're still wrapped around the axle. All right? Let's keep going. Verse 51. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's where we stopped last week. And here's what we said Jesus is clear about what's next and what's ahead in terms of his mission. And I think it's twofold. Number one, he's going to Jerusalem to do what? To die be resurrected, and he will ascend. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die for faithless, twisted people. Here's the other thing that I think is clear, is that final preparations must be made with the disciples. Because why? He's not going to be with them much longer. What did Jesus say when he came down the mountain? He said, look, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Is Jesus exacerbated with them, frustrated with them? Maybe, a little bit, at least. But I think the main point there is this. I'm not going to physically be here much longer. Jesus' ministry is going to continue and be an ongoing thing through these disciples and many more. Okay, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and, and what we know is he's going to die. Moses and Elijah were speaking with him about his departure on the mountain. And final preparations must be made with the disciples. Verse 52. And so he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Why are the Samaritans offended? I just think this is another Hatfield and McCoy situation, right? Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. In fact, they hate each other. But Luke gives us a detail that I think lets us know something else is going on here. He says, the people did not receive him. Why? His face is set toward Jerusalem. Which means, I think, Jesus sent his disciples out ahead of him to make preparations for him. And there must have been a clear sense to everybody. Jesus is not coming here to stay. He's coming here on his way somewhere else. And the Samaritans are somewhat familiar with Jesus. Remember the story of the woman at the well, John chapter 4? That was a big deal. So they're familiar with Jesus, and there might be a sense of, hey, Jesus, we'd like for you to stay for a while. Do things like you did before. No. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and they reject him, which is sad. 
incredibly sad, but what have we learned in Luke's gospel so far? The kingdom doesn't come near on our terms. Do you know what's even more sad? The disciples are still twisted around the axle here. James and John, the two Jesus affectionately called, does anybody know? Sons of thunder. Hey, Jesus, you want us to call down some fire? I say it's sad, but it's comical. I mean, you can almost just taste the misguided zeal, the immature bravado. Jesus, you want, what do they got in mind? Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe, like the fire and brimstone that fell, or maybe something like what happened with Elijah when he called down fire and it burnt up the altar. What's in their minds? I don't know. They've obviously forgotten something. They've forgotten something that Jesus has already taught them. What did he, remember the parable of the sower? Jesus pictures himself as a sower who goes out and indiscriminately sows seed, right? And what happens when a sower indiscriminately sows seed? Some seed falls on bad soil and it produces nothing. Other seed falls on good soil, and when good seed finds good soil, what happens? It produces. When Jesus sent them out in chapter 9, he told them, look, when you go and when you proclaim, some people are going to receive you. And when they do, stay there, eat what they provide you, bless them. But if they don't receive you, what? Shake the dust off your feet. This is such an important lesson. For them and for us. Because when we scatter as kingdom participants, this is, this is so huge. And this is something that the Lord's have been having to teach me in recent years. When we scatter with, as kingdom participants with Jesus, and you know what I'm talking about when I say scatter. All right, We're gathered right now. I'm talking about this in a very practical sense. We are gathered as the people of God right now for worship and discipleship to study the Word of God, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a few minutes, we're going to scatter. And we don't just scatter to go back to our little lives and our little worlds. We scatter as seed sowers, kingdom participants. But when we do so, we cannot, we cannot measure success and fruitfulness by receptivity alone. If I were to measure the fruitfulness, the success of the ministry that God has called me to as a pastor teacher by receptivity alone, belief alone, I'd have quit a long time ago. That's not to say that receptivity is not an indicator that fruitful ministry has taken place. Certainly it is, right? But at the same time, we cannot conclude that rejection, that a lack of receptivity, even a lack of results is an indication that we are failures, utter failures as kingdom participants with the Lord. You might say, well, Bradley, the disciples, the nine at least, failed with the boy who had the unclean spirit. Yes. But don't forget what Jesus gave them at the beginning of chapter 9. What did he give them? Power and authority over 
all demons. They should have been able to handle it. Why? Because that's one of the ways Jesus had invited them to participate with him. The measure of successful ministry, the measure of fruitful ministry, participating with Jesus, cannot be exclusively, exclusively receptivity or rejection. Tangible results or not. The key is simply this. Are we being obedient? Are we doing what Jesus asked us to do? You might be like, well, Bradley, that's so simple. Did you even study this week? Yes, I did. But I think it's really that simple. Why do we overcomplicate it? Why, why do we make it about so many things that it's not? Numbers. Whether or not they said, yes, that sounds good. The Bible talks about the cross of Christ being foolishness to those who are perishing. That it's offensive. Jesus doesn't play by our rules. And sometimes he's on his way through town and we'd like for him to stay. And he says, no. And how are people going to respond to that? They didn't receive him in Samaria. Even though he had done great ministry there before. And James and John think that the next step is we need to call, we need to call down some fire. We can take care of this Jesus quick, fast, and in a hurry. And no, he rebukes them. He rebukes them, and what do they do? They move on to the next town. They're still wrapped around the axle because they just don't understand what it means to be fruitful participants with Jesus. Seed sowers, seed scatterers who are not called to affect the condition of the soil. We are not called to change the soil. We're called to sow the seed. With him, he takes care of the soil. Amen? All right, so nobody's going out here calling down fire from heaven. Just, just obey. Listen and obey. What has he asked of you? With your neighbor, with your father, with your son or daughter, with your coworker, with your fellow student, with the person that you don't feel like you have time to stop and pray with. Just in those little ways, those little doors that he opens, what has he asked of you? If you and I could step in through those doors, if we could receive those invitations and trust him with the results, I think it was Charles Stanley that I heard say years ago, obey God, and trust him with the consequences. Now, they move on. In the rest of chapter 9, we encounter three would-be followers. Let's read it, verse 57. And they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, before we look at these three would-be followers, let me say a couple of things. Jesus' words to each person are not intended to be absolute instructions for every believer, disciple, follower of Jesus. Okay? It's, it's not as if Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be a destitute nomad that hates or despises his or her family. These are hyperbolic statements. They are shocking and they're intended to be shocking. For the individuals he's addressing, for the disciples, and I think for us too. They're meant to shock out of the kind of complacency that hinders us from being kingdom participants with Jesus. Let me also say this. If we're going to heed Jesus' words, if we're going to learn from these encounters like he intended his disciples to do, I think we're going to have to think more about the church scattered with this than we are about the church gathered. You realize, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but we are scattered a lot more than we are gathered. Right? There's a lot of life we live between our gatherings. That's not to say that ministry, look, when we gather, we gather to be equipped. Whether that's on Sunday morning, small groups, whatever, we are gathered. God, Jesus has given gifts to his church so that the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry. So when we are equipped, ministry does happen when we are gathered. There's a whole lot more opportunity to participate with Jesus when we're scattered. Amen? So I think we're going to have to have that mindset going in. Jesus is not given absolute instructions. These are hyperbolic statements meant to shock us out of complacency. And we need to be thinking about my life between Sunday afternoon and the Saturday night. Okay? You with me? All right. So here's the first would-be follower. Let's call him the doesn't-know-what-he's-getting-into guy. Not guy, but you know what I'm saying. The guy that doesn't know what he's getting into. He's got a similar kind of misguided zeal and immature bravado to that of the disciples in recent history. And he says to Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. So this person's obviously impressed with Jesus. I think that's genuine. There's no reason to think that this guy doesn't have sincere intentions. He's got a, he's got a willingness to follow and he's impressed with Jesus. He's verbalizing that. Lots of people do that. We do that, right? We do that all the time. Jesus' response is, okay, foxes have holes and birds have nests. That's fascinating. He starts talking about animals. Just imagine this, this encounter happens in our day. That one of us approaches Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And you might imagine that he would say, look, hey, doctors, business owners, salespeople, BMW employees, they have nice homes, they drive nice cars, and they go on great vacations. As if 
he would address what human beings, regardless of the historical error, think they're entitled to. But he doesn't even go to the human realm. He goes to the animal kingdom. How I many of you understand, 2,000 years ago when this happened, foxes lived in holes. And birds lived in nests. Guess what they do today? They don't have condos and drive BMWs. They still live in holes and have nests. I've got some building a nest in my gutter. It's driving me crazy. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, the Word become flesh, the one through whom nothing was made except that which was made through him compares his life circumstances to foxes and birds. That's fascinating. To say what? He's saying, you're going to follow me. You've got to be homeless and poor. No, I don't think so. What I, what I do think he's putting his finger on is that if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to realize that all temporary circumstantial comfort, luxury, all of the benefits that you might typically think you're entitled to, you're going to have to hold really, really loosely if you're going to follow me. Is the world broken? Yeah. Do we, do we long for him to see it all made new? And do, do, we, do we long for him to do that? And do we know he is going to do that? Yes. And in the meantime, we're called to Follow him through this broken world. And this broken world is going to tell us you need this, you must have that, you're entitled to that. This is your due. This is your lot, especially in America where we're told about the American dream. Last week when we dedicated those children, I told those parents, don't let your kids buy into the deceptive, seductive lie of the American dream. That's not to say that stuff's bad. Everybody in this room has got stuff. When it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to your spiritual health, to your effectiveness as a kingdom participant, that's not measured by how much stuff you have or don't have. How, what, what the, the, the issue is, how tightly are we clinging to this stuff? Because to this doesn't know what he's getting into guy who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, okay. Just understand. I, I, don't have a place to lay my head. You up for that? If we're going to follow Jesus, the momentum of our lives flows out of his worth to us. Is he worthy? Is he worthy, so worthy, that my grip on my stuff would be so loose that if at any point it conflicts with how he calls me to participate with him, I'd be like the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as, I can't even translate that in the Greek without offending you. Rubbish. We'll leave it there. In order that I may gain Christ. Scattering as kingdom participants is huge. It matters. If we're going to follow him, we're going to have to hold stuff loosely. But you know, one of the reasons, it's not that this only happens when we gather, but one of the reasons why our gathering is so important is that we get to come together and we get to rehearse and sing and laud the worth of Christ. Because I don't know about you, but when I sing, is he worthy? I start to feel my grip loosen on stuff. Stuff that might hinder me from just saying, yes. I know foxes have holes and birds have nests. I'll still follow you wherever you go. Would-be follower number two. Let's call him the, the more important things to do first guy. This, this would-be follower is actually approached by Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And, and he responds with, Lord. Don't, don't miss that. Don't, don't fly past that. He calls Jesus master. So for, what we know is he's not disrespecting or disregarding this invitation. He sees Jesus as someone to follow, someone worthy of following. But he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, at first glance, you might think, dad's dead, and there's a funeral that, that needs to be attended, at which, in, at which the sentiment would be, Lord, let me go to the funeral real quick, and I'll be right back. But I, I question whether or not that's the case, because look at Jesus' response again. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words... Let those who aren't interested in following me handle things like that. Which leads me to believe, I might be wrong, I don't think dad is dead. Not yet. Maybe he's close. Maybe he's old. Maybe he's ailing. I don't know. But what I do think is clear is Jesus is putting his finger on a heart issue in this guy. It's the heart issue that you and I deal with all the time when Jesus invites us to participate with him. But I need to do this first. I've got stuff going on in my personal life, Jesus. I've got to get some I's dotted and I've got to get some T's crossed. And when I get everything just right, I get everything in order, then... I'll be here and I'll follow you wherever you want to go. But it's, it's, listen, I know this. I know this and you know this. There's nothing, and you're going to say amen. I, I know you are. You should. You better. There's nothing more important than following him. That's just, that's just elementary, my dear Watson. And I know, and you know this, and you're going to say amen, Jesus cares about all that stuff 
that seems so urgent and so much more time sensitive than what he's asking me to do in the moment. He cares about that stuff. And yet even still, there's something in me and there's something in you that when he invites me and it's not convenient, I've got this. A lot of times I neglect to obey because I've got things I've got to do first. I've told this story before. I, was, uh, I, had, a, I had a morning meeting at, at Starbucks on Pelham Road. And at the time, I was in the market for a new smoker for cooking barbecue, okay? Um, and, and so there's a Walmart right there at the Starbucks, so I, I quickly, I just thought, well, I'll just run in there and see what the prices are, just look around real quick. I had another meeting to get to, uh, in, you know, a, a little bit later on in the day, but I decided I'll just run in there real quick, look around, see what they've got. I did that, I came back out, and where I had parked my car there were some guys standing around another vehicle looking like they were, you know, like, like something was wrong. And, and I'm like, okay, I see that, but I'm, I, I need to go. So I got in my car, I pulled out of my parking space and started to leave, and I just felt like the Lord say, ask them if they need some help. And, and, and you guys know, I don't even have to tell you the conversation in my head with the Lord about that. When that stuff happens, you know it happens all the time. So, but on this occasion, thankfully, I turned the car around, rolled the window down. Do you guys need some help? Yes, we're out of gas. Okay. I drive down to the gas station, buy a gas can, fill it up with gas, bring it back to them. Y'all keep the gas can. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. You're welcome. I got to go. See you later. I left, and I don't know if it was the next Sunday or maybe a couple Sundays after that. I'm in this sanctuary, and this guy and a woman walk up to me, and they look somewhat, he looks somewhat familiar. And I, I stuck up my hand, introduced myself, and he said, you bought me gas. Now, there's some details I can't say publicly, but this couple was in some really, really, really rough circumstances. And honestly, I don't know what has happened to them, but I do know that through that encounter, their two children got fostered by another family in this church, and kingdom seeds were sown into those two children who are now going into college and, and moving on with their life. And it all started, I think with me reluctantly saying, yeah, I'll buy some guys some gas. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to participate with him, we're going to have to trust him enough to let him set the priorities. At times, we might have to abandon our agenda knowing that he cares about what seems urgent to us in order to trust him with what he's invited us to do in the moment. Would-be follower number three. Let's call him the indecisive guy. This guy approaches Jesus, says, I will follow you, and he gives the stipulation right away. He doesn't have a back and forth. He just says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. I've heard it said that this generation is the most indecisive in history. And I'm inclined to think that's true. No offense. Uh, I heard a pastor tell a story about um, just maybe a couple of years ago. 
uh, he had a staff member that was underperforming, and so he scheduled a meeting with that person and was endeavoring to figure out why this guy just simply could not get things done in a timely manner. And so after some conversation, he, he started to put his finger on what he thought the problem was, and so he asked his staff person, he said, do, do you think that you might be a little bit indecisive? And the staffer looked back at him and said, well, yes and no. When we're learning to drive, what is the one thing that people keep telling us over and over and over again? Keep your eyes. Why? Because your hands, which steer the car, tend to go where your eyes are. And so if you're constantly looking behind you or to the left or to the right, you're going to have a tendency to drift, right? That's why you shouldn't be looking at your phone when you're driving, right? You can't, listen, this is huge. I need to wrap this up. You can't follow Jesus and participate with him in ways that make him look great if you're constantly second-guessing whether or not he's worthy to be followed. Whether he is, you're constantly second-guessing the value of following him because looking back means longing back. And you know this, I I struggle with this too, is that there are things behind me that still want to tell me I'll give you a lot more satisfaction and joy than what Jesus is leading you to do right now. Those lies are whispered in our ears all the time. What Jesus is saying is that that kind of second guessing is not helpful, useful, and fruitful in the kingdom. Divided hearts affectionately, are not useful in displaying the worth of Christ. Because ultimately, when we go out as kingdom participants, what are we called by him to do? Put his worth and his great value on display. He's worth trusting. I think at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is that he's worth it. He's that valuable. And trust him. I don't think Jesus is trying to create some new commandments to say, thou shalt give up your home and all your stuff and follow me, or thou shalt never have a funeral for your dad, or thou shalt not have any other longings than me. But Jesus, listen, Jesus knows all of our idols. And I know that's a strong word, but when we come in and we gather like this and we start to declare him to be Lord. What he's doing is he's looking us back in the face and he's seeing right to our hearts. And he's putting his finger on the things that are competing with our affection for him. That's what an idol is. It's, it's a competitive affection, right? We, we, we allow ourselves to be deceived And so our affections are torn. We're prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. And a competing affection is not only idolatry in the sense that our worship's being diverted, but it's also a hindrance to kingdom participation. Because ultimately, what are we lauding when we go out in his name and proclaim the kingdom of God? We're proclaiming he's worthy. And here's the thing. 
When Jesus looks at us and he puts his finger on these things, we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to feel condemned. We don't have to shrink back from him and try to hide. Right? We can let him put his finger on those things and we can embrace that kind of conviction with joy because ultimately what he's doing is he's drawing us to himself. And he's saying, I want you to follow me. But if you're going to follow me, you've got to realize this. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be spit on, mocked. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise from the dead with all authority and power in heaven and on earth. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit's going to be poured out, and you're going to get to follow me. But if you're going to follow me, you've got to understand this. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to give up life on your terms. It's not always going to be comfortable and convenient. In fact, most of the time, I've been journeying with the Lord for quite some time now, I've found that obedience is rarely comfortable. I just, I, I, in fact, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of an instance where it was like, oh, that's easy, Lord, yes. <laughs> Sign me up. No, it's always a challenge. It's always like my, my flesh, my natural life is pushing back against his invitation. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And how many of you, for the sake of all of us, you know, testimony is a powerful thing. How many of you, just by the show of hands, could look back on your life? And honestly, don't do this because I'm trying to provoke it. But you could honestly say, despite the fact that maybe at first you didn't know what you were getting into, despite the fact that you had to let go of things that felt more urgent, maybe you had to loosen your grip on stuff, temporary things maybe there was a part of you that just you had to let Jesus take your head and turn it forward so that you could keep your eyes on the road that despite all that discomfort and hesitation that maybe you felt at first how many of you by show of hands would raise your hand and say it was so worth it the joy I experienced in fellowship with him was so worth it hold those hands up high let the church see them this is worth it. There's no greater joy than following him. So take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for, oh, I don't know. I just thank you for all the things, just all the things. It's just, I feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude this morning that, I get to follow you, Jesus. I get to participate with you. I get to obey you. That I get to loosen my grip on stuff and temporary things. That I get to abandon my agenda and trust that the world's not going to fall apart if I let you reorder my priorities. That I get to look forward and not backward like the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what's behind me. Pressing on toward the mark, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is what we get to do. 
Lord, let us obey you and trust you with the consequences. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bradley. Um, I was thinking about a benediction this morning, and I think I've got a word for us that's fitting this morning. We talk about a groaning world, a broken world, and um, the teaching this morning about, you know, the thoughts about what's urgent, what priorities are urgent, and the, 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 the thinking about that the conversating with God about that. And then Jesus' words to not look back. I'm going to read from 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16. And Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself, the Lord of peace himself, give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. You know, when we get these when our soul's at peace, when we get all these things out of the way, you know what we can do? We can do kingdom work. So that's what I want to leave you this with this morning is just that the Lord of peace give you that peace at all times. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good week. Thank you. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.